Hello, this is Creative Conversations, the Tiger Spirit podcast exploring and celebrating creativity in life, the arts and business. I'm your host, Yang Mei Ui. I'm an author and a podcaster. In this episode, I talk to Christian Morgan, an ultra runner and personal trainer. Our conversation was first recorded for another podcast, South London Voices. I'm streamlining my podcasts into one single podcast, so I'm republishing my conversation with Christian Morgan here at Creative Conversations. The recording was made outside in Dulwich Park, so there is some ambient noise in the background, including planes flying overhead. But I hope that that does not distract you too much. Christian's story is fascinating and inspiring for anyone wanting to build their endurance and focus, not just for a sport like ultra running, but also in any creative or other endeavour. So I hope you will be as inspired as I was when you listen to our creative conversation. Okay, Christian Morgan, welcome. So now, you, uh, well, we're here in, um, in Dulwich Park. Can you paint a picture for our listeners what's around us? Okay, uh, good morning, Yang Mei. Nice to be with you. Um, so, yeah, it's the first part of the day. It's a, a lovely sunny day. Uh, blue skies over, overhead. We're, um, the setting is Dulwich Park, surrounded by lovely um, freshly mowed green grass, uh, rosadendiums of... Uh, uh, various colours and lovely shrubs and a fantastic variety of greenery. And it's such a beautiful day that this is an experiment. So hopefully, listeners, you'll, you'll hear some of the birds and some of the ambient noise um, that just kind of creates the atmosphere of, of where, where we are. Um, so, Christian Morgan, how long have you lived in South London? And what is it that you love best here that keeps you, keeps you here in South London? Okay, so I've been here approximately about 10 years. Um, and what's really nice is that um, South London, we're not far from central London. So we're a big part of, um, you know, that London is the capital of the United Kingdom. So it's good to be, you know, one of the residents of the capital. And uh, it's great. It's a great hub for flying all over the world. London's a great place to you know, take off and land. Um, and I've obviously got my favorite places here and there. Um, so yeah, I guess, guess it's my base. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to um, explore a bit about your world travels, um, during this podcast. Um, but just for now, can you give us a hint of some of your favorite places in South London? Uh, yeah. I mean, for sure, yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're sitting right in one of them. Right now, we're sitting on this lovely wooden bench uh, in Dulwich Park. And Dulwich Park, uh, since I moved to London, has been pretty much a daily um, part of my life. So Dulwich Park, just love to be in an area surrounded by trees and greenery and grass. And it's a bit of a micro environment of, of the streets around us. So, uh, and then you've got Brockwell Park, which is just one mile down the road, which I was in before I came here. Um, and then in the other direction, you've got Peckham Rye. So I'm a big fan of the parks. Um, so yeah, outdoors. Yeah, and, yeah. and as, as a personal trainer, 
you focus on working outdoors with, with your clients. Um, so why is being outdoors an important part of your training approach? It's my philosophy that just to begin with, just being outside is almost half of the work done for me because I actually read an interesting fact this morning. I uh, read an interesting fact this morning. We've got a plane flying over <laughs> to speak up. So um, in um, the United Kingdom, we spend 92% of our entire lives indoors. 92%. In the States, that's 90%. So um, when I get people outside, I'm adding to that 8% that were outside. And I try to feel that I'm extending their time outside. Because I really think... Um, training isn't just about big muscles it's actually about mental health and uh, part of in my opinion uh, being mentally healthy is being outside as much as possible rain sleet or, or snow <laughs> sunshine and I have to uh, have a disclosure here um, to everybody that actually Christian and I met because I asked him to to train me and get me fit for my one-woman show a couple of years ago, Bound Feet Blues. Um, and uh, at that time, I was working quite hard in an office, and in the evenings I'd rehearse and so on. Um, and so coming, meeting Christian in, in the evening after work, and I'd be sometimes like really tired, and go, oh God, personal training, no thank you. Uh, but coming out into the parks with Christian and just doing the whole sort of workout, by the end of the hour, I was like bopping about and feeling really positive. So, you know, thank you for getting me fit. And, oh, you're and welcome. <laughs> All part of the service. <laughs> so just to go into a bit more detail on, on, on this aspect, um, you know, who, who, what kind of clients come to you and where do you take them and, and what do you do with them and you know you said you're not focused on super big muscles so do you have a range of different clients who have different needs? Everybody uh, who comes to me always has a different goal in mind. Um, specific goals in the past may have included training for London Marathon. Um, I had one particular fellow who was quite tall and, and skinny and wanted to gain muscle. So he was one of those guys who wanted to build muscle. Um, and on that occasion, we worked in a gym because he needed to lift up heavy weights. Uh, other people, uh, there are quite a lot of people who fall into the category of um, my energy's low and I used to be healthy and four years have passed and I'm now an extra... 10 kilograms. My goal is to lose the weight and get back to where I was. So yeah, a wide variety of um, people with different goals. And each session um, that I experienced with you is, is different. How do you kind of work out how to do something different each time with your clients? That's the funny thing. When I first started out, um, I actually printed off a schedule, <laughs> you know, back in the day um, of what we'd be doing in the session. And over the years, uh, things have progressed with my expertise and my understanding of the client when they arrive at the session. So a premeditated session might not always be um, the best course of action. So what I actually tend to do is uh, see the client uh, when, at the start of the session, ask them how they feel, um, and engaged on that feedback. I actually make it up as I go along. But I do have a theme, and the theme is to target the whole uh, body from head to toe. So I wouldn't have someone go away really just working on one part of their body 
if they've seen me like once that week. Yeah, my theme is uh, whole body fitness, um, including cardiovascular system and um, the, 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 the strength as well. Yeah. And so you, you offer run, um, uh, sort of running uh, and uh, other kind of, you, you, you bring the equipment, but also there's Nordic walking, is that right? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there, I, I tend to um, lean towards different um, exercises for different people. So I won't give any names, but some people are quite stressed. So for those people, I pull out the boxing pads and I get them to put on some boxing gloves and uh, punch the pads, and that's a great stress reliever. Yes, I've done that with you, and that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun. It's it's fun, and it relieves stress. And um, other people, yeah, you mentioned Nordic walking, um, have a limited, um, uh, what's the word, uh, range of things they can do. So there was one particular fellow who was my eldest client almost in his 80s late 70s and uh, we would just get the nordic walking poles which is just like a walking stick but there's two of them um, and you'd hold on to them and you get into a rhythm and you just walk around the lovely uh, park and and pass the time with conversation and that was a great way for an elderly client to have not too much of an impacting exercise um, with me so different tools for different uh, clients different forms of exercise yeah great well that's what you do as a as a profession now as a as a personal passion um you're really into ultra running so what is that and and why do you do it yeah so uh the way a lot of people answer this is ultra marathons are events which are longer than the standard marathon which is 42.2 kilometers or 26 miles um, so an ultra would be something further than that distance um, and that's why they call it ultra marathon so that's what an ultra marathon is um, they start at typically about 50k uh, which is about 31 miles and then they can go up to the longest single stage ultra marathon i did was uh, 330k or if you're working in miles that's about 205 miles um, non-stop so that's a single stage they they say go at the start line and 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 when you get to the finish there's no breaks in between and then they say finish <laughs> okay that sounds nuts to me and maybe to some of our listeners and we'll come to that uh, in, in, uh, in, in the next bit of the podcast but let's just sort of um, have a little bit of a flashback as to how did you um, you know the idea of running 200 miles non-stop just um, how, do, how do you get to that point and how did you start running, I guess? Where did that come from and how did that path lead you to where we are now? Well, I used to do um, boxing in a boxing gym um, and part of the training for boxing was a bit of a jog to start off with, uh, which was only maybe 10 minutes or so, you know. And then I saw, um, I, I, I hail from Wolverhampton, uh, which is my hometown, uh, and I saw an advertisement in the local Express and Star for the Wolverhampton Marathon, and um, I entered it without any training. I thought, that looks like a good challenge, and, uh, and I finished it. Uh, just under five hours, got to the finish line, got my medal, and it was during that period 
I crossed many uh, physical barriers and mental barriers during the run, sorry, uh, not, and uh, and it, it it was such a feeling of self-accomplishment and self-discovery and realizing that I had a whole lot more ability than I ever thought I had. And it was the marathon that made me realize those things. So that was what began me off running, the Wolverhampton Marathon. Wow, and then since then, you have um, done many marathons, uh, and, but also you're a member, or you're aimed to become a member of the 100 Club, what's that? Yeah, so uh, I, my first marathon was in 2000, and I did typically uh, two marathons a year, and then upped it to three a year, and then about 2009, I think I did six in one year, and then I started seeing these guys turn up, usually older looking uh, people, um, with um, 100 Marathon Club t-shirts on, and I thought, I wanna join that club. So I was up to about, by 2014, I was about 40, 40 odd marathons, you know, over the 14 years, and I thought, I don't wanna be an old guy with a t-shirt on, I wanna be a fairly relatively young guy. So in 2015 and 16, I ran 50 marathons, 25 marathons a year, so roughly one every two weeks, and I joined the club. Oh, well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Still sounds nuts to me, but congratulations. Um, can you um, just give us a feel for what that's like to run so many marathons in, in such a short time? It can be tiring. You know, uh, so you run a marathon, for example, on a Saturday or a Sunday, um, and, uh, and then you think, what am I doing next week or the week after? And you think, wow, I'm booked to run another marathon. So I, I, I actually must admit, my fitness became amazing, and I actually got started getting to the point where I actually started winning, winning some of these. Um, and... Uh, uh, and, but I was also very pleased to run number 100 marathon and actually think, you know, I've achieved that goal. No more, you know, back-to-back -back marathon weekends. I mean, w one time I actually, because I wouldn't run a marathon every two weeks. It might be a few weeks off. But then I might run a marathon on a Saturday, a marathon on a Sunday, and then the f following couple of weekends do the same thing. So, you know... Like, um, a lot of running in a short space of time, but it was fantastic looking back on it. Great memories. And um, you said to me before that actually running um, these kinds of distances is as much about physical fitness, uh, but it's also about your, your mental state. How do you um, mentally prepare and what... I suppose it's kind of, how, how do you get yourself into a state that you can do this and not just go, I'm going to stay in bed this weekend? Yeah, well... Two things there. Um, one is discipline. You have a goal, and if you want to achieve that goal, you must be disciplined. Um, uh, two uh, is uh, routine. You start doing high mileage and multiple marathons, and it becomes normal. Um, so, so, so they're things which help routine and discipline. But then you're right, the mental focus is huge. Um, there's um, a saying that it's 90% it's mental and the other 10% is mental. I've probably got that wrong, but it's something <laughs> silly. Uh, but for example, before I ran 
my 100th marathon, which was also my first marathon, which is the Wolverhampton Marathon, um, I lay down in um, bed that night and I shut my eyes and for about half an hour I actually went through the entire course in my mind because I knew the course. And uh, when I um, woke up the next day, I uh, didn't really have to think twice because I'd already prepared myself mentally and I went on to win my 100th marathon, which was also my first marathon, and I got my fastest time that day. Oh, so wow. that was all um, with the help of mental visualization, which is huge in uh, sports. Well, congratulations on that. And actually, that just reminded me of one little session that we did where I think you asked me to do, um, I had to run and pick up some stuff over and over again or something. Um, and I was quite tired. Um, and, I was, and you kept saying, you've got to beat your time, got to beat your time. And you were timing me. And then at the last one, you said, OK, just stand there and visualise doing it. Visualise running to that cone and picking it up um, uh, and running back here. And, and I did that. And I thought, oh, you know, what's all this about visualisation nonsense? Um, and then when I did it, my time was the fastest of the whole session. That was amazing. So um, it's just not, you know, I guess you know, we can hear these things and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, I've experienced it myself and it's, it's amazing. It's a big part of uh, sports and all the um, high-profile elite top-end athletes will visualize. It's a huge tool um, and uh, it's fun because, you know, you can lay down, shut your eyes <laughs> and actually do a workout. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay, now we're going to take a break before we go to the next part of the podcast where we talk about some really exciting, meaty stuff about uh, you're doing two of the most challenging endurance races in the world uh, but before that just to get us into that kind of pumped up mood um what what music would you like me to play now okay so this is one that um i listen to when i want to get fired up and it's by a fantastic band called black sabbath and the particular track is called iron man yeah very appropriate and we'll be back just after this Okay, and we're back. So, Christian Morgan, you've done two of the most challenging endurance races in the world, the Marathon de Sable in the desert and the Tour of Giants in the Alps, so the desert and the mountains. Can you tell us about those races and in particular, you know, what are the differences in terms of your running technique, your mental preparation and so on? Sure, yeah. Um, two fantastic races that I was privileged to be a part of. Um, Let's, take, uh, let's talk about Marathon de Sables, quite well known um, and uh, quite a lot of people know about that one due to uh, Ben Fogel doing a documentary and doing it himself. Uh, stories of terror, of feet being churned up and looking like pulps of meat with no skin on them by the end. Just, go, just before we get into the gory details, just for the ones, for our listeners who don't know about the Marathon de Sables, can you just describe sure, yeah. an overview? Yeah, okay, so the Marathon de Sables, um, or the Marathon de Sables, is a multi-stage race through the uh, Moroccan desert. Um, and it's approximately marathon distance for day one, two, and three. And then day four is usually double that. So marathon distance is 40K. Day four will be like 80K. So it's a big, they call it the big day. Um, and then there's a day off and then there's um, uh, two more days uh, of marathon distance again. So 
it's pretty much like doing in a week seven marathons and a double marathon i mean it's it's a lot but on top of that you also have to carry all your own provisions um all your own food uh anything that you've taken with you in the desert like sunglasses and uh your sleeping bag you have to carry your sleeping bag you have to carry uh jackets on the night time so in the, the daytime the desert can be very hot uh, in the night time it can drop down to zero degrees so uh it's a kind of a self-sufficient multi-stage run through the the moroccan desert and you've got to navigate yourself as well no actually you don't have to but um, it's good to be able to take a compass bearing because um, there are some, circumstance, uh, some circumstances. One particular fellow got lost and ended up... Um, uh, there's been some fatalities. So nowadays, you actually have a live tracker strapped to your bag. And uh, yeah, if that whoever's looking at the big screen suddenly sees someone go way off course, they can send a helicopter you. out, yeah. Um, so uh, you're following markers, which are typically a small um, flag stuck into the, the ground. Yeah. Or sometimes pink spray paint on rocks and bushes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, OK, so um, take us there um, on the first day. What was that, you know, kind of setting off and take us on the journey? Yeah, you've got 1,300 people um, all around the start line, um, which is one of those kind of blow up ones. Uh, Patrick Boer is the uh, race director. He's usually given a extendedly long speech where everyone's just dying to get going um, and wishes us all good luck. Um, then he plays um, some fantastic rock music. And then uh, it, there's helicopters flying overhead. You feel like you're part of some kind of action film. And then they say go. And then suddenly uh, you've got about eight kilograms on your back. You're running, you're in the desert, it's hot, adrenaline's pumping. Um, and uh, that's how it all starts off. And what is it like running uh, on sand? So it, there's varying types of sand. The dunes are um, the kind of sand where your foot sinks in and you're going sometimes ankle deep, especially going up and down them. Uh, when you're on top of the dune, you, you kind of want to stay on the ridge. So that's the um, hardest part. And then, uh, then you've got Jebels, which is uh, like a mountain in the desert where it's kind of rocky. And then there's some harder packed sand. So there's different varying um, uh, degrees of uh, sand to run on. Yeah. Wow. And uh, running in that kind of um, uh, horrendous heat... Yeah, so uh, I was probably actually one of the only guys not to wear sunglasses because I wanted to see everything. I really wanted to take it in. It's a fantastic opportunity. But yeah, on, besides sunglasses, I had what's called a Legionnaire's hat. So that's a, like a baseball cap with a peak and a piece of material which covers the back of your neck. Um, uh, and, and you have to keep on top of drinking water uh, Part of uh, the requirement of um, uh, entering is that we're given salt tablets. We have to take two every hour. I've got another plane going overhead. And um, yeah, you have to manage yourself in the heat because that's what, probably one of the biggest causes for uh, not finishing is the, the hot weather. 
And um, there must have been some horrendous sort of uh, moments when you just thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> Can you just kind of tell us about, about those moments and how you overcame them? Yeah, in the, in the running world, in the ultra running world, we call these uh, the low points. Um, and uh, there are low points. And um, I'd say one of my, I felt like I was on the edge of um, having a bad stomach. So it's quite known that people get a bad stomach and once they get a bad stomach, they're in trouble because uh, they can't maintain hydration and so on. And uh, I was doing pretty good each day. I'd just say to myself over and over again, it's just a run. It's just a run. That's all it is. And I was, to be honest, I held myself. I ran within myself. But there was one particular day, and I think it was the, 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 the day before the, the last day, my stomach felt very vulnerable. And uh, I had to uh, take an uh, unexpected stop somewhere. But um, my stomach held out, and I'd say that was my low point. But uh, it, it was pretty much okay, really. I, I handled it quite well. <laughs> and were you ever tempted to say, I'm going to go home now, I'm going to give up? Not during that race, no. I, I didn't. Um, there are other races, and I'll speak about that probably in the Tour of Giants. But uh, no, I didn't actually hit rock bottom in uh, Marathon de Sables. I kept myself out of the red and um, uh, within my own um, level ability, didn't chase anyone who was faster than me and uh, uh, didn't feel uh, I was overreaching. So, uh, no, unfortunately, not, not for that one. No <laughs> well, struggles. No, fortunately, fortunately not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and um, so, again, just a little bit of a flashback. Um, how, do you, how did you train for this? particularly harsh um, uh, race because of course here we are in, in England it, it's rainy it's cold um, and never it does get hot sometimes you know when uh, everybody complains and the train stop running or whatever but that's just like for a day so how did you train for the Marathon de Saab? I was very specific I wore when you're running the Marathon de Saabs, um, it's uh, you have to wear sand gaiters because you really do not want the sand to get into your shoes um, because over 20, 30 hours of cumulative running, some people had no skin left on the bottom of their feet. And these guys usually went to hospital and didn't finish. So managing um, your feet was really important. So you had to wear sand gaiters. So I got used to practicing running in the required kit. So I would wear an eight kilogram backpack. I would wear sand gaiters. I would look like an absolute idiot running down the road, people staring at me and turning their head longer than which is usual. And, uh, and that's how I trained. I, I acted as if I was actually running the race where all the stuff, uh, and, and typically then the other thing I did um, was did back to back to back long days. So because it's a multi-stage, for a marathon you do one long day each week because you're training for one long run. When you're training for a multi-stage long run, you do back to back to back because you're training for several long runs. So I'd dress up in all my kit, uh, go outside looking completely ridiculous, uh, and then run, say, 15 miles on Friday, and then do the same Saturday and Sunday. 
<laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so now, uh, a complete opposite of that is the Tour of Giants in the Alps. Um, again, so now we're going to place our mental imagery in, in, in the terrain of the Alps. Can you just sort of describe what that all involves? Sure. Tour of Giants is uh, not multi-stage as Marathon de Sable is. It's single stage. So Marathon de Sables, you do day one, you go uh, to the camp, have something to eat, go to sleep. Tour of Giants is single stage, which means you have to cover the entire distance in one go. Uh, and this distance is 205 miles. So um, just to add to that, it's in the Italian Alps, around the entire region of um, Valle d'Aosta, um, starting in Cormayeur, and uh, it's an out and it's a loop course. So you do a full loop uh, going through the Alps. And to add into this, there's 31,000 meters of accumulative elevation gain and loss, which is like I don't know, three and a half, four Everests from sea to summit. Uh, and uh, so you're not running yeah. up up the mountain and then along the mountain. You're running up and down, up and down. Yeah, you're typically going through a valley up to a pass, as they call it, and then down the other side and just repeating that over and over again. So it's all about climbing and descending, climbing and descending. And because it's non-stop, you're also running through the night. Yeah, um, so I actually got to have my first proper hallucination. Uh, I got to see John Lennon, uh, which was pretty fantastic. Uh, so sleep deprivation is a big part of... Um, um, your training approach. So um, just let's just go go into that because I don't think very many of us uh, listening um, would have had that experience. So um, just talk us through. You know, you're you're there, you're running. Um, get get us. Let us imagine this inside your head. What's going on? I'm running. Um, I've not slept for three nights. Uh, I'm tired. I'm hungry. Um, uh, I'm going. 20 times slower than I feel I'm actually going, so I'm actually crawling, probably. Um, uh, you, you, you're cold, uh, you, you have to um, think about keeping warm, so when you're going downhill, you have to put jackets on, when you're going uphill, you have to take jackets off, the heart rate varies, you have to think about eating to keep your energy up, you're really... Um, in a massive uh, state of sleep deprivation. Um, you're looking down at rocks, you're seeing faces in the shapes of rocks, you're in the surreal world, you're, you're not sure if you're dreaming, you're, you're, it, it's such an amazing um, step outside of um, the daily uh, normal. Um, it, it's pretty bizarre. Then suddenly John uh, Lennon pops up and, and you know it's an hallucination. Uh, uh, which is good, otherwise you, I think, be quite delirious. Yeah, that, that's kind of... And what did John Lennon say to you? Do you didn't say anything, <laughs> just, uh, just the face of John Lennon was uh, in, in, uh, to my left as I was running, and I was like, wow, that was John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you're, when you're going, you're, you're on your own. I mean, there are other runners, but I, presumably you're not running together. No, um, well, it's funny. Over... Uh, such a long event. This particular event took me five days and five nights. Um, over that time, I got a chance to run with different um, people. And 
this fantastic fellow called Bert from Belgium. We were together for, I mean, I'm guessing it must have been a couple of hours. Uh, uh, we started off running in the early hours of the morning from a, a you stop at mountain huts and you rehydrate and eat food and um, you are allowed up to two hours sleep in these uh, uh, huts to manage yourself. And then you carry on and me and Bert carried on together and then we got to the point where we made a decision. I think it's time for us to go alone. We we're kind of slowing each other down and then I ran with someone else for a while. And But I tended to want to continue the adventure by myself. Whereas other people hooked up with another person and they finished the entire runs together. So it depends on the person, depends on the kind of experience you're looking for. And yeah, you can run with people or by yourself. And so the kind of average speed, you, you did that in five days of having very little sleep. Um, the, the person who won, how, how fast did they do it? So, um, he was a fantastic runner from Basque Country in Spain. Um, I forget his surname, but it's Javier. Um, I may have that wrong, excuse me to the listeners if I have. But um, I spoke to him afterwards, it took him uh, uh, three times 24 hours, so three days. Uh, I asked him what his sleep strategy was because mine was get to a cabin and have the full amount I was allowed, which was two hours and they kicked me out. He told me he had 20 minutes um, uh, sleep at the end of each day. And for the first three, four minutes, he actually lay there awake. So it probably whittles down to less than uh, 60 minutes total over three days. And he did say by the end, um, he actually wasn't sure if he was dreaming or if he was really running a um, organized event. Gosh, that uh, is astonishing. Yeah, it was very impressive. Um, and again, with this one, did you have to navigate yourself or was it all? Again, flags placed every so many hundred meters. Uh, so that helps. There's a GPS file downloaded onto the watch. That helps. Um, and then there's sometimes really no other way to go when, when you, 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 you're in the valleys and, and uh, there's not too many trails off where you're going. So no, it's not a self-navigated uh, event. It is a uh, marked course, yeah. And so in contrast to um, the Marathon de Sable, um, how did you train for, for this different terrain and different, um, presumably there's also altitude issues and so on? There is, yeah. Um, the altitude I couldn't train for. Um, I did live in Ethiopia for six months, uh, which is at over 2,500 meters just uh, when I'd go to bed on the night time and walking around. So I, I already had six months of acclimatization that way, but that was about two years before Tour of Giants. So that I just had to turn up and just cross my fingers. And that became apparent one time when a great female runner from America called um, Stephanie Case um, came sailing by me as I was pretty much hyperventilating, crawling along like some um, very slow tortoise. And uh, she was acclimatized and I wasn't. So that was one example of that. And in terms of uh, training for this event, uh, it's all about elevation, um, gain and loss. So I wouldn't look at how many um, miles I'd done in a week. I'd look at how many meters I'd climbed. And when I say climbed, I'm not talking about the type of climbing where you use your hands and you go vertically up. I just mean after a run, 
climbing refers to running uphill. Um, how many meters have I climbed? And I typically try to aim for big meet, like uh, meters at the end of the week. And so where, where did you go to, to, to do the up-down training? So there's, uh, um, I've got a, a couple of uh, places around the area actually, uh, which I use. Um, um, there's uh, a place opposite Sydenham Hill uh, train station on College Tollgate Road. And I was just there two days ago because uh, I have another mountain ultra I'm training for. And I'll just run up and down the hill uh, for an hour, two hours, three hours. And uh, I typically gain, in two hours, I can get the height of Snowdon, which is the tallest mountain in Wales. Wow. So I can, I can ga uh, gain the, the height of a mountain in London. In, you know? Yeah, in, in little old South London. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, and actually all around that area, if you head towards Onroke Park, Woodvale, all up there, the hills are pretty steep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you've, when, when you're training for mountain ultras in London, where there's a will, there's a way. You know, you can do it. Great. Um, so now, um, I guess... You know, you 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 are um, super fit. You're an ultra runner. You continue to challenge yourself. Um, and just sort of wrapping up this this um, conversation we're having, you know, for for people who are thinking about getting fitter, well, you know, whether they're just a beginner runner, or you know, they improve, they want to improve their marathon time, or maybe they're you know they've done marathons. Now they're thinking about doing um, their first ultra marathon. You know, now that I've got you here as our expert, what what tips and advice have you got for any of those people? Right. Okay. One of my favourite tips for people is um, Park Run is a free event run in parks all over the world. It started off here in the UK, in um, London actually, um, and within a stone's throw of where you live will be an organized park run on Saturday at 9 a.m. It's 5K in distance, it's timed, uh, you can register, and it's a great introductory to uh, getting outside into a lovely park in your local area and doing a timed event, running with other people. For me, that would be the biggest tip, and that's um, uh, park run. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll put, um, links to Park Run um, and also to all the things that we've talked about, including the Marathon de Sable and the Tour of Giants on the show notes page. And details of that will be just coming up. Um, so, Christian Morgan, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, regards to running? or ru Running, fitness, life, um, last words. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, keep moving, guys. Uh, I think one of the biggest... Um, um, habits, uh, let's say one of the most terrible habits I think um, of people these days is sitting. Because we have eight hours each night to lay down and be still. Um, and I think the rest of the day we should really try to stand or at least not sit as much as possible. So keep moving and uh, keep motivated. Wonderful, thank you. Now, if people want to find out more about you and, and all the things that you're up to, um, where should they go? Sure, yeah, go to my website, which is uh, www.christianultra.com. Um, my name is spelt the Scandinavian way with a K, and ultra is spelt with a U, so that would be uh, christianultra.com. Thank you very much, Christian. My creative conversation today was with Christian Morgan. 
There are photos and links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page. You can use the bit.ly short link bit.ly bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast or you can go to tigerspirit.co.uk forward slash blog and click through to creative conversations. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Conversations podcast, please share it with your friends wherever you share stuff, or you can subscribe to the show or leave us a lovely review on anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Spotify, and you can find it by searching for my name, Yang Mei Ui, and that's Y-A-N-G hyphen M-A-Y-O-O-I. All this will help more people hear about the show. The Creative Conversations podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. The podcast web link again is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. I'm Yang Mei Ui. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as at tigerspirituk. Thanks for listening and see you next time.